following talk is from New Community. For more information about New Community, check out newcommunitychurch.org.uk. Thanks for listening. So um, last week we kicked off a whole series uh, on Ephesians. And Ephesians is, is quite an appropriate book, really, for the season we're in. We're in this really odd time when practically a lot of stuff with our church is changing. Uh, and if you like, the, the vehicle of our church is changing. Um, so we're still the same, New Community Church, we still have the same vision and values, but the vehicle, the practicalities, the way we do Sundays is changing. Um, and so Ephesians, what it does is it's, is it's basically a book written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Ephesus. And unlike a lot of the churches he writes to, Ephesus doesn't have much junk. It doesn't have many problems or issues going on. And you look at a lot of other letters like Corinthians, and it's just Paul telling them, why are you doing what you're doing? You guys are idiots. Here is a big, long list of things that you guys are doing badly. Here's a bunch of things you need to change. Uh, like, the book of Ephesians isn't like that. It's actually quite encouraging. It's saying, you guys are doing a great job. Here is a big picture of what the church should look like. And it's amazing because it, for us, it's a wonderful foundation. It's a really good foundation to look at. And as we go and we start new sites, how should our churches look? How should our churches look? So it's so helpful to time and time again return to what um, Paul has to say in Ephesians. So I'm going to plow through. Um, it's in Ephesians chapter, chapter 1, verses 3. You've got like one of those physical, real, actual Bibles. It, <laughs> it is wonderful. Don't get me. I love apps, right? I'm an app developer. And I'm, I'm, I'm one of those guys who, when the new version of the ESV Bible app comes out, I email the developers, right? I'm that guy because I'm so excited about it and I've noticed little things that they might have missed. So, of course, I let them know. But there is nothing like having a real, actual, physical paper Bible for those of you who remember what they look like. So, beginning Ephesians 1, um, Ephesians 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have the redemption, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Lord God, we thank you that your will is no longer a mystery, that Lord God, you have given us your word so that we know what it looks like to worship you. We know who you are, and we know what your church looks like. Lord God, I pray as we open this up, God, would you change us? Would you work on our hearts? Would we become the church that you want us to be? In your beautiful name, amen. So at the beginning of Ephesians talks a lot about blessings, um, which is a, a word that is thrown about the place quite a lot. Um, and, it, and it varies from person to person what the word blessings or blessed really means. So what I've done is I took um, a, a, but basically a little phenomenon called hashtag blessed. Some of you may have heard of this before. If you've ever been anywhere near social media of any kind, you will see that there is a habit, some of you may partake, um, there is a habit of taking normal things that happen in our lives and putting hashtag blessed at the bottom of it. 
And so what I did is I did a very quick search um, on Instagram uh, of, of a list of things that people qualify for, hashtag blessed. So, number one, qualifying for the Olympics, hashtag blessed. Seeing the Grand Canyon, hashtag blessed. Owning a pair of Nikes, hashtag blessed. Being on a beach in Florida, hashtag blessed. Having kids, I can't really relate to that, hashtag blessed. Not having kids, I can relate to that. <laughs> hashtag blessed. Getting really ripped at the gym, hashtag blessed. <laughs> buying, buying wholesale at Costco, that's amazing. Hashtag, hashtag blessed. Spending time with horses, hashtag blessed. Eating fruit, hashtag blessed. Having friends, hashtag blessed. Buying a new car, hashtag blessed. You get the point, right? There is a massively varying variety of things that people define as this is what it means to be blessed. And Instagram is a good picture of that. But in Ephesians, Paul doesn't really talk about any of these things. He doesn't mention the, the beach in Florida. He doesn't mention you know, the worldly things that we day to day really appreciate. And is that, because, is that because it's bad? Is that because it's bad to appreciate things like marriage and degrees and success and money and things going well in this world? No, I don't think so. If you look at what Paul writes in 1 Timothy, he says, For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. The things that God gives us, the gifts he gives us, the things he uses to look after us are good, particularly if they're used to lift up his name, to thank him with they are good things. But I think what Paul is saying here is that there is more to life than this. Is that the things that our world looks around at and says, I am blessed because I have this. I am blessed because of this. Paul is saying there is more to life than this. And this is wonderful and encouraging. And you can be blessed in this world and still not be happy. You can be blessed and have material stuff around you but still not be happy, but, but still not be satisfied. And that's why for us now in the Western world, where we have it pretty good, our alpha courses are still packed out, right? Because you can have everything going well for you, but still have a, an emptiness, still have just something that isn't quite being fulfilled or satisfied within you. And so it's so important when we're looking at what it means to be blessed, that this definition that Paul uses is what we, what we base it on, is the foundation that we build on. So I'm going to plow through a few of these blessings. Um, there's, I could be here forever, so I'm going to choose five. Okay, um, Number one, he chose us. Verse four, we see, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That's God. The first blessing in God, the first thing we look at, began before any of us ever had Instagram, before any of us ever existed, before the world existed itself. In Genesis, it says that the world was without form and void. And it's back then that God first blessed us. That he, before anything else existed, chose us. When you were in Christ, it's not because you happened to choose him. Or the right person invited you at the right time. Or you went to the right Sunday school. It's because a long, long time ago, God chose you. God specifically picked you out. And this is a huge concept. This is massive. Next week, we're going to cover it in a bit more detail, so I'm not going to um, spend loads and loads of time on it. But it is so important that this is the foundation of all the blessings we have. Because if we miss this, we start crediting ourselves with this. We start looking at what God does for us, and we see it as a result of what we've done for God. Right? Some of you are 
initiators. Maybe you have a personality that just initiates stuff. You know, when something needs doing, you are there. When, when uh, there are new ideas, you are straight on it. You're what's called an early adopter. No one's an early adopter of grace, right? Because God, God always initiates. God always came first. And so if you are a Christian, it's because God has initiated it. It's because God started it. And this is the, the basis, the foundation. The Bible talks about the enemy, um, Satan, being an accuser. talks about him being a liar. And one of the things he, he, he does is he speaks um, legalism over us. And, and it's, it's so common. You see when someone is trying to wrestle with what God is saying, it's often because deep-rooted inside of them is a legalism that says, God will only bless me if I do this. Or God can't bless me because I'm imperfect, because I'm impure, because I'm not right with God. How can I come before him? But God says, no, 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 no. None of my blessings over you ever depended upon you. They ever depended upon me. The decision I made a long time before you ever existed. So, um, and it can get quite complex, um, and we'll unpack it a little bit more next week, but it's so important that we begin with this. That God strips away all of our legalism, all of the lies the enemy puts over us. Before we did anything, he chose us to be completely and entirely blessed in Christ. And this is encouraging. This means that whatever happens tomorrow, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Because it never depended upon our performance, upon what we were doing, upon the, the right or wrong things that we do and say. Number two, he redeemed us. Verse four, we see that it says that we should be holy and blameless before him. The Bible gives us a really clear picture of what it means to be holy. Um, some of you have Open the Old Testament, and you'll see there is a whole load of confusing books that talk a lot about holiness. And this is because it really, really matters to God. And, and we see in the Old Testament the introduction of the law. What the law did was expose mankind's unholiness and God's holiness. And it showed why there's a divide between man and God. It's because of holiness. It's because when sin entered the world in the garden, when um, Adam and Eve ate of the apple, that sin entered the world and separated man from God. And what we see over and over again in the Old Testament particularly is this, um, the, the law comes in and basically explains how God's people can get close to God again. And you see all of these crazy rituals, all of these bizarre things they do, and it's all because God wants to emphasize over and over again that, that my holiness is, is, is incredibly important. And you cannot just come close to me. You cannot come close to me if you are covered in sin, if you are sinful, which all of us are. Apart from God, our um, intentions and our actions naturally are to run from God, are to run away from him. And what it causes us to be is to be unholy. Um, but what we see in the Old Testament, again, is that God provides a way. Uh, it, he begins with sacrifices, that you can... Um, sacrifice an animal, and in your place, it takes the punishment for our sin, which means we can come close to God. But it was still imperfect, and throughout the Old Testament, it's constantly pointing forward to this time when God will provide the ultimate sacrifice, and that's what we see with Jesus. People don't understand it at first. Even the disciples who spent three years with Jesus don't understand it when he says, I'm going to be pinned to a cross and die for your sins. They don't get it. But then afterwards, when Jesus raises from death, when he explains this is what's happened, they see that this, this man is the sacrifice 
And in him we trust. In him we are made holy. And what that means is that when we put our trust in Jesus, this ultimate sacrifice, it means that we, an once unholy people, are made holy. We are holy and blameless. Blameless means without sin. Blameless means that a perfect judge stands in front of us and says, I find nothing wrong with you. If you're in Christ, that's exactly how God sees you today. He looks through you. He looks through everything, all of your past, all of your future. He looks into every deepest, darkest secret in you and says, because of Christ, there is nothing wrong in you. You are blameless before God. And see, this is the same truth that I heard when I was 16, and it still amazes me today, and it should amaze us today. Because this will transform our life. This means that we can be with God, that we can be close to him, that we don't have to feel unclean anymore. It's amazing. Number three, he revealed himself to us. Verse nine, it says, making known to us the mystery of his will. Again, throughout the Old Testament, there was, you saw glimmers of who God was. There are perhaps stories of when God revealed himself to his people. Or we see prophets, and prophets would be the mouthpiece of God. They would speak what God is saying. But apart from that, you couldn't tell what God was like. You couldn't tell what God was saying. And then we see when the temple's built in the Old Testament, they have the Holy of Holies. And this is a place that, that um, one time, uh, for one day during the year, for one person, they could enter. And normally, if you enter the Holy of Holies without doing a certain thing to go at the right time, you died, right? It was pretty serious. The holiness of God was so important that if you came close to him at the right time and were ceremonially unclean, you died. Like you see it the same with the, um, with the Ark of the Covenant. There were people who came close to it at the wrong time, and they died. But God would give these, these glimmers of opportunity to see God, to know God, but always pointing forward towards his day when we would be able to know him, when we would know the mystery of his will. We see also with the revelation um, of Jesus, when he came to earth, that he shows us this is what God looks like, that suddenly everyone could know who he was because they could know him. They could speak to him. They could touch him. This is what God looks like. And that's why the, one of the reasons that the Bible is so important, because it documents for us, this is what God was like. This is what God is still like, rather. Jesus is still alive, right? He did not die and stay in the tomb. Uh, that's important to mention. Um, that Jesus is still alive. And it's so important that we see that Jesus is this amazing picture of God's will. More, it goes on further than that. In John 15, Jesus says to his disciples, no longer... Do I call you servants? For a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. This is incredibly personal. Some of you have really good friends. And if you trust them, you'll share everything with them. You can share everything with them. You can share your deepest desires, all of your hearts, all of your past, all of your plans. You can share your, your, your intentions. And, and you can share your whole life with them. And what God says is that I call you friends. And what, what happens when you, when you step into a relationship with God, you start learning all these things about God. Not just from the Bible, not just from what we read about him, but he comes and he lives with us in the Holy Spirit. And suddenly we, we start becoming aware of how he feels about people. He changes our heart. We start hearing prof um, prophecy. Some of you um, heard some of that reference today, that God says, here is my intention, here is my plans, because he loves us, because he calls us friends. And that's why we take things like 
prophecy, things like scripture, really, really important because it's God sharing his will with his friends. And so we have this amazing privilege of knowing the will of God, which is outrageous if you think about it. How important are we compared to the importance of God? And yet he would take the time to explain to us, this is what I've done, this is what I'm doing, and this is what I'm going to do. This is amazing news. For us, this is an incredible blessing. Number four, we see that he adopted us. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Now, um, when this was written in about AD 60, uh, they would have known really clearly what this adoption looks like. It's important to explain that um, the Roman emperors at the time, or the Roman culture rather, it was quite normal to adopt people um, in terms of positions of influence. And so actually the emperor, um, the current emperor at the time when this was written was a guy called um, Nero, and he was adopted by his great uncle. And what happened is when that adoption took place, he went from a place of relative obscurity, now he probably would have still been super rich, sure, but he went from a place of being relatively obscure to being in line for the throne of being emperor. And at that time, being emperor of the Roman Empire meant that you were the single most important person in the entire world. And what we see is this picture with Nero and with many other emperors where he went from relative obscurity to incredible importance. And a similar thing happens to us when we're adopted. Our position in the grand scheme of things isn't that significant. And I appreciate if you live in California, you are told over and over again, you are important, you are sparkly and special and wonderful. But in the real grand scheme of things, in the real grand scheme of things, and this is a sobering point that at some stage in our lives, we, re we realize that uh, eventually everyone will forget us. Eventually everything we do, you know, it won't come to much. And it's exciting now. But in, you know, 50 years after our death, you know, who will remember us? In 100 years, in 1,000 years, who will remember us? And I think we, we spend so much of our time focusing on what we can get done, on our importance, on the things we achieve in this world, even if they're good things. But the sad reality is that it, it all fades. When we're adopted into God's family, there is a significance like nothing else that we suddenly have, for free, without doing anything. We are adopted from insignificance to significance because we are part of God's eternal family. Because we have a future, we have eternity with him. But also, God says that we are, we are co-heirs with Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ. That's insane. You can kind of see why Christ would reign. He did that thing where he lived perfectly and then was crucified for our sins. You, you, you can see why he kind of, you, you know, he, he, he did something to justify it. As well as being the son of God and part of the Trinity. But why do we have any privilege of being co-heirs with Christ? This is incredible. And this blessing is not something, uh, it's something that we can just wash over a little bit. But being adopted as his son, as part of his family, this is incredible. This is a significance like nothing else. And then finally, number five, he will restore us. In verse nine, we see, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is looking forward. All of these blessings so far are either in the past or in the present, but this is looking forward. This is a blessing that is a promise that God is saying that one day, 
I will restore all things to myself, things of this earth and things of heaven. And, and I, think, um, I think you probably have to be quite, I guess, ignorant to miss that this world is broken, right? And there is a lot of hurt, there is a lot of pain, there is a lot of things that aren't right in this world. And God says, one day I will restore everything to myself. There will be no suffering anymore. There will be no pain. There will be no tears. And this is something that we look forward to. Because maybe it's just me, but being a Christian can be hard. Following Jesus can be tough. Living in this world, even redeemed, even knowing his grace, can be hard. And Jesus says, you're not, you're not home yet. That will come one day. And it will be glorious and wonderful. And he talks of this time when he will restore everything to be exactly what it was intended to be. We see in the garden, um, way, way back in the garden of Gethsemane, uh, not the garden of Gethsemane, the garden of Eden. Jeez, I'm going to get my gardens right. Um, there, was, there, there, was this, there was this picture of perfection where humanity walked with God. There was no death at that time. There was no sickness. There was no evil. And God says that, that's what the future will be like but bigger, but more glorious, but with way more people. He talks about this city, this glorious city that will be, will have God at the center of it, that will be um, full of immeasurable light. And this is what we look forward to. And this is a hope that we, that we set ourselves on. And it means that this short, relatively speaking, this short period of trial, this time where life is hard, where we do, as James mentioned, we face an enemy. Some, some of us day to day, well, all of us day to day, we face an enemy. We face an enemy who hates us, who hates God's kingdom, and there is oppression. And so there, there is a, it is always a battle. It is a battle in prayer. It is, a, it is a battle to believe the truth of God over the truth of the enemy. And God says one day this battle will be over. And I've already won the day, but one day in the future I will remove all trace of any sin, all trace of evil. And this is a blessing that we have immense confidence in that God is calling us home. And as Westerners, we are both we're both fabulously wealthy and desperately poor at the same time. We're fabulously wealthy because we're better educated, we're healthier, we're wealthier, we're we, we have more insight, we have more understanding than ever before. And yet we're still desperately poor, spiritually speaking. We still uh, aren't happy. We're still not content. Even with everything that creation has to offer, we're still not happy. London is, a, is such a beautiful picture of this. And it is the richest city in this country, but it's also one of the most depressed, right? It's full of people who are earning crazy money, but hate their lives, you know, have achieved so much, but still aren't happy, still aren't satisfied. And so when we talk about the blessings of God, it's so important that we don't just see them as an add-on. You know, They're not just a bolt-on to the rest of our life. This is what is actually going to satisfy us. M the blessings we have in Christ are like nothing else. And so I think for, for if you're a new Christian, this is outrageous. The, the blessings that God gives us are incredible and amazing. But is that still amazing 10 years into being a Christian? Is that still wonderful? Are these blessings still mesmerizing? Are they still the things that get us up in the morning? Are they still the things we put all of our hope in, all of our trust in? Because the reality is the blessings of this world are very obvious. 
Amalekites. It's all around you on Instagram, right? They are everywhere. What the world says means to be blessed. What the world says is worth spending your life running after. And God says there is more to life than this. Some of these things are good things, but they're not going to satisfy you. They're not going to make you content. But what I have to give you is unlike anything else. You see this amazing picture of Jesus meeting a woman at the well. And, and they get chatting about water. Um, and what Jesus says is that the, the water I have to give you is unlike anything else. He's like, better taps? No, no, no. No, it's, far, it's better than anything else, anything else you could have. And what happens is he starts to dig in this woman's life. And he, he basically unpicks some, some painful history in her life. That she has time and time again gone after different marriages. She's on like a fifth, fifth man or something like that. And it's a picture of all of our lives in that for all of us, in our history, we have sought other gods. We've sought other ways of being satisfied, of being content. And Jesus would come to every one of us and say, the water I can give you is unlike anything else you can find, is unlike anything else you can get. And so I'd say, if, you, if you're not a Christian and this is totally new to you, I would say whatever your background, whatever your history, whatever uh, your experience of God is like, what he can offer you is unlike any blessing you'll ever receive. But if you've been a Christian, maybe for a few years, maybe for a whole lifetime, are you finding your blessing? Are you finding your worth? Are you finding your contentment in Jesus? Because what he offers is unlike anything else. Is unlike anything else. And it's so important that time and time again, we return to these blessings of God. I'm going to finish there. If you guys want to stand, I'm going to pray for us super quick. Lord God, thank you that when you created us, you created us to not be satisfied with the things of this world, with the, the trinkets, with the shiny little things of this world, that God, they're not enough. They were never satisfying, and going forward, they will never be satisfying. And so, Lord God, we ask for all the good things in this world. Would we thank you for them? Would we be grateful for them? But would we not put our trust in them? Lord God, would you be our God? Would you be our king? Would you lead us? Would you provide for us? And God, if there are things in our lives which you are saying, I need you to walk away from that. God, today would we have that freedom to let it go. To say, this is not my God. Lord, you are my provider. You are everything I need. In you, I have everything. In you, uh, you are the bread of life. You are the eternal water. God, we trust you. We love you and thank you, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You want to take your seats? If, um, if anything throughout this time of worship has been particularly stirred you, let's take this opportunity. Let's take this opportunity to, to pray. There'll be guys at the front who would love to pray through with you. Um, it leads me to finally just to say next week, it is going to be apparently even hotter than this, which I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like in the UK. But apparently it's going to be even hotter than this. So we're going to have a picnic right after the meeting. So I would say please bring lunch. Bring enough for yourself, for your family, but also for other people. So we, if you have guests here, they are also welcome. And what we're going to do is going to go to a park over in that direction. That's like a walking distance. And it's going to be super fun. Uh, I hope you guys have an amazing week. And we'll see you later. Take care.